together. Let's turn on our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. Sunday morning, we're studying the book of Hebrews together. We come to Hebrews chapter 12. And if you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with lots of Bibles, and if you just wave to them and get their attention, they'll be happy to get one into your hands. And then you can hear the Word of God and read it as well. And please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you. Hebrews chapter 12, a single verse this morning, and not even uh, the whole verse, chapter 12, verse 1. The Holy Spirit declaring, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and then here for our purposes this morning, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let's pray together again. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it's a living word. Thank you, Lord, that you have an intended work of your Holy Spirit to accomplish in each one of our lives through this half verse here this morning. And we have come to hear your voice, Lord. We prize your voice, your perspective, your instruction above all else in this world. It means everything to us to know your will for our lives and to hear your voice. And so, Lord, freshly fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give our hearts and our minds and our spirits an attentiveness that we would not otherwise possess. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In this section of the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews is likening the Christian life and being faithful to God's calling upon our lives as Christians to running a race. He's using athletic imagery to make his point. And the race that he's describing is not really a sprint. The race that he's describing is a long-distance race. And this kind of athletic imagery isn't uh, unusual in the New Testament. It's often used to describe the Christian life and Christian service. Paul wrote in uh, Paul spoke, in, as is recorded in Acts chapter 20, in speaking to the Ephesian elders, he said, And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He wrote to Timothy, the apostle Paul did, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he said, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 
And henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who love his appearing. And then finally in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he refers to the, this imagery as used again when Paul writes to that church at Corinth, and he said, Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. That is, run in such a way that you may receive the prize. And here, and I, I want to mention it again, the Holy Spirit likens the Christian life to a race, a long-distance race, but He also likens Christian ministry or Christian service to running a race. And the reason that he does that is because Christian service is a very, very vital part, a necessary part of the Christian life. Fully living a Christian life without also being engaged in Christian service of some kind of God's choosing related to our lives is not a Christian life at all. It's impossible. It is impossible to say, I am living the Christian life in its fullness without also being involved in Christian service. Every Christian is called by God and gifted by God in some way for the advancement of the kingdom of God in this fallen world. Jesus taught when the disciples, uh, James and John, they uh, got their mother to come to Jesus trying to secure the two most prominent <laughs> positions in heaven after Jesus' position uh, following their lives and uh, asking that they could sit at either, on each side of his, his right and his left hand in eternity. And, of course, the other ten disciples were greatly displeased at their selfish ambition and their power play perhaps displeased they hadn't thought about it themselves to try and get their mom to do, uh, secure this, uh, the valued seats for eternity. But Jesus then took the disciples and pulled them aside after they'd all watched this demonstration of selfishness. And he said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever desires to be first shall be slave or servant of all. Jesus went on to say, for even the Son of Man, speaking of Himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. A person cannot become like Christ, cannot be growing in Christ-likeness without being a servant for God's glory in the place of God's choosing. That is the great thing that happens in our lives, the, uh, the greatest thing that happens in our lives after the single greatest thing that happens, and that is our salvation. The next greatest thing is to be conformed into the image of Christ, this side of glory, and no one is being conformed into Christ's image who does not also become a servant of the Lord and involved in 
Christian service. And this is why no Christian will ever know maturity or Christ-likeness apart from Christian service because it marked the life of Jesus Himself. Now, elsewhere, Jesus taught that the greatest words that we can ever hear from His lips when one day we see Him face to face as Christians are these words, Matthew chapter 25, "'Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord.'" I want you to notice that. He says, welcome, thou good and faithful Christian. He doesn't say that. He says, welcome, thou good and faithful servant. No one can ever hear those words in that day without being a servant in this day. That's what's required in order for that to happen. And no life can consider itself having been lived successfully, no Christian life that does not ultimately hear those words from the mouth of Jesus, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, service can include a lot of things. It can include serving in a local church like this church, and there's so many needs and so many opportunities to serve, and literally hundreds and hundreds of people serve in this church in order for this to be what God wants it to be in this community and to be in, in the world because of uh, every… that's the context that we're in, that He's using us in, the, in this community but also desiring to impact the world through our lives. And all of this is so many different people coming together, recognizing God's call upon their life, being obedient to that, and that's what we experience in this local church and what you'll experience in any… Uh, local church that you go to. But not all Christian service occurs within a local church. Um, you can be engaged in Christian service by, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, running for a school board. And then miracle of miracles is a Christian being elected onto that school board and then serving God in that place for His glory and for His purposes. That's Christian service. Owning a business, running a business, not out of the motivation supremely of, of gain and making a lot of money and those kind of things, but out of the motivation that God, I believe, has called me to start this business and to give myself to this and He has arranged it in such a way that all of this is done in order to glorify Him and that He might be seen in and through this business and through my life. That's Christian service. Raising children as unto the Lord, that's Christian service. Wanting to be the very best employee that you can be in the place that God has called us to work and doing it as unto Him, that's Christian service. Where we just simply come to the Lord and we ask the Lord, Lord, is my Christian service self-defined or is it defined by You? Am I doing all that You've called me to do? And if so, fine. I don't want to have myself doing a thousand different things that You haven't called me to do out of guilt and condemnation. I don't want to operate under those motivations. 
At, at, and so I don't want to be operating that way, but am I doing all that you've called me and gifted me to do, or has my Christian life and my Christian service become self-defined and falling way, way short of your plan for my life? And that's the kind of thing. We just say, Lord, all right, you saved me. You saved me for lots of purposes, but part of those purposes is to serve you and advance the kingdom of God. What does that look like in my life, Lord? And then when he reveals that to us, then being faithful to do that. There's a, at a missions conference, a 23-year-old woman was asked, how did you receive your call into missions? And she said, I got saved. <laughs> well, that's a lot of truth to that, especially when we realize that the mission field isn't just on the other side of the world, but it's in our own apartment complex or in our own neighborhood, in our own family, in our own city, as well as on the other side of the world. Now, one of the things about races is that they must not only be begun in order to be successful, but they also have to be finished. And this is the problem that these Jew Jewish believers were struggling with. They had begun their Christian life and Christian service. There's no doubt about that. But where they're wavering now was related to completing or finishing their Christian service. And so he begins to speak to them of the importance of finishing their race. But then he goes even further, and he tells them and he tells us what's required in order to run our race successfully and to hear those words from the Lord one day, well done. As we saw last week in our study of the first section of uh, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, which also then introduced all of chapter 11. He says, in order to finish this race that he has, God has called us into, the first thing we need to do is come under the encouraging influence of all of these people that have run their race before us and have successfully completed it. This great hall of faith, as he lists all these names in Hebrews chapter 11. And the idea is that by the grace of God, they did it, and by the grace of God, we can do it as well, and that God will make sure that we are able to do that. And sometimes some of you might have noticed when we went last week and looked at some of these great heroes of the faith that the Holy Spirit lists there, and you go, I don't know that they're such a hero. I think I saw Samson's name in there. Tell me, please, <clears throat> about what a great man of faith he was. Well, he had some problems, didn't he? But when you're desiring, <clears throat> excuse me, to make a point to a group of Christians about the importance of finishing well, you hardly have a better example than Samson. He flubbed like crazy, but he did finish, his well, finish well. And in the final hours of his life, he accomplished what God had intended to do in his life as a judge of Israel over decades. But in God's grace, he accomplished it. We saw Abraham and Sarah listed there. Boy, they weren't always the hero of every story in their life, nor was David, nor was Noah, nor was uh, 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 um, Gideon, so many of these characters, and yet God used them, and, and they became heroes of the faith despite their imperfections. There's only one perfect, and that's the Lord Himself. 
And so God has the grace in our lives uh, to cause our lives to be used, this race to be run, to begun, be begun, and then to be finished successfully, to add that to our lives. And all of those names are included in order to help us uh, as an encouragement uh, to, to make the fact that they finished their race even uh, a, more of, of an encouragement to us, make that even more powerful and more meaningful to us. Each of us can do it. Each of us can be as faithful as Abraham was or David was or Moses was or Sarah was or any of them that are listed there. Because while we may have a different calling on our lives as an individual person at this point in time, we can be just as faithful to that calling and the power of the Holy Spirit as they were to theirs. And it is just as important in the economy of God that we be as faithful to what God has called us to as they were faithful to what uh, God had called them to. And the idea is we can do that. I think about, uh, think about y- y- looking at something and go, I could never do that. When you turn 15 and a half years old in the uh, state of California, you can go get a learner's permit and start to drive the streets of Modesto, Highway 99. What a place to learn to drive. Better in Houston or someplace, get your bearing, get your, I mean, get some experience. But here we live, uh, uh, do we have the shortest on-ramps to the freeway of, uh, per per on-ramp of any city in the whole country? You've got like half a second and you go from here and now you're in the middle of four lanes of craziness or three lanes of it. And yet a person here at 15 and a half years years old can begin to doubt that they'll ever be able to drive like everybody else drives. No, you'll you'll do it. Everyone out on that road, they're no smarter than you. They're no dumber than you. They're no more athletic or less athletic than you. Just go down to the DMV. (laughs) Just watch people pull up in their car go inside, come out, and drive away. And, and I mean, it's the broadest cross-section of humanity you will see at the DMV. And it'll be a great encouragement to you. If they learn to drive, and they're driving today, I can learn to drive and, and be successful at this. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is intended to give us that kind of faith and that, that kind of encouragement. And then the second thing, which is our purpose here this morning, the writer comes to what is required to run this race successfully all the way to the end. In order to finish, he tells us that we need to lay aside. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We need to lay aside the sin, he says, that so easily ensnares us. And this refers to those things that are clearly forbidden by God in His Word in the Bible. And when a Christian comes into contact with those prohibitions, what is the man or woman of faith to do with those things? He tells us we're to lay them aside. 
That phrase lay aside literally means to put aside, to put it out of the way, and then I especially like this one, to rid oneself of. So when we come to sin in our lives, the opportunity to sin, the temptation to sin, we recognize this is not going to advance us in this race that God has called us to, and so we are to lay it aside. And you notice kind of the expanded commentary of the Holy Spirit concerning this sin. He says this sin, it, that it so easily ensnares us. One translation puts it this way, the sin standing all around us. There's the recognition that we run this race in a context of sin and temptation, and yet it can be run and it can be finished. The sin, the idea is the sin that surrounds us and tries to trap us. And we're to look at sin, and no matter how many followers or how many backers it has in the world that we live in, I am to see it as sin, and I am to lay it aside. Another translation puts it this way, and I think it's very good. The sin which is admired by so many. We are to lay that sin aside. Now, this passage searches us, and it asks us whether there is any sin that we need to lay aside here this morning. And I believe in uh, treating uh, each other with respect and as adults in this room, though I pray always for the needed work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I have no interest in beating people up. You know that. Got that out of my system a while ago. I enjoyed it, though, while I was there. <laughs> it's all I knew, actually. But just with maturity in this room, you're looking and say, I don't have to beat you up or yell at you or get, try to make people take this seriously. The passage this morning, it searches us and it asks us, is there any sin that we need to lay aside from our lives this morning? And it's so simple, it's so direct. I mean, you don't need a THD to understand it. Any sin in our lives, any prohibitions from the Word of God, any violation of God's Word, of activity in our life, any sin, we are to recognize it for sin and lay it aside out of our lives. Now, sin's a big word. <laughs> you can talk about, talk about sin, and you say, oh, all right, well, uh, it, you know, I'm, it, 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 it's just like it's so big that it doesn't have any kind of an impact until you get a little more specific related to the sin. So it's all right, I'm, I'm not engaging any gigantic or graphic or kind of my life isn't dominated by a whole bunch of sins, and, and so we think we're doing all right. But sometimes it's good to get specific. And I just want to read a couple lists of sins that are found in the Bible, kind of prime the pump, just to make sure we're not missing anything related to this uh, exhortation, because the word sin is so big. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the works of the flesh which are evident, and he begins, Paul begins to list some of the sins that are, are there, the sins that we're to lay aside. He speaks of adultery, so sexual unfaithfulness when married. That's a sin that's to be laid aside in our lives as Christians. He then talks about fornication. That was known in the ancient time as the great sin of the Gentile world, and it remains the great sin of the Gentile world, and that is 
sexual activity, not just sexual intercourse, but sexual activity that is appropriate only for marriage, engaging in that activity outside of the commitment of marriage. He talks about uncleanness in that passage, and it's talking about moral uncleanness. Sometimes people get all kinds of things and in, in, uh, definitions in their mind, and they say, well, we didn't have sexual intercourse, or we didn't do that, and, and that somehow that's okay with God. We did everything but that. <laughs> we accomplished everything that you could short of that. And that word uncleanness includes that. And it also in, would include pornography. Lewdness, and that's just lasciviousness. And that's being a, a sexually immoral person and just being shameless about it. That, that's a sin that lies all around us now. Very little shame attached to uh, sexual promiscuity in our culture anymore. He talks about idolatry, and idolatry is the worship of any created thing. And since everything, there is God, and then there is His creation. So the worship of anything other supremely, the master passion in my life, any other master passion in my life other than God Himself, so that's the worship of a created thing. That's idolatry, and that's to be laid aside. He then lists sorcery, which is more than just kind of getting into the occult and casting spells or something. It's the word, we, the word pharmakia. We get our word pharmacy from it. It, talks, it was used in the ancient world to talk about mind-altering drugs. So this last election, Colorado, and I think it's Washington State, legalized marijuana. And uh, so now people can have their marijuana vacations to Colorado. That'll, that'll elevate the state in a fabulous way. should be alarming to anyone in that state. But we see that. We see the legitimizing. It's a sin all around us, drug use. And that's not going to go away. Unless there's a revival and a massive repentance in our country, sexual immorality, the use of drugs, the legalization of all of it, the moving forward of all of that, that is not going to be turned back. That is going to be stuff that we have piled up all around us, but that we have to lay aside and say no to. So it asks us, am I engaged in drugs? Am I engaged in this kind of thing? The writer tells us that we need to lay that aside. Then he talks about hatred, having hatred toward other people. Contentions. That's the kind of person that's always contentious, always uh, quarreling with people. That's a sin. That's a work of the flesh, and that needs to be laid aside. Jealousies, he talks about. Outbirths of wrath. This is a person that has these fits of anger and explosive uh, anger. That's to be laid aside. He talks about selfish ambitions, and that is selfishness being uh, above every other consideration in my life. I, me, and my, and nobody else matters when push comes to shove. I win in everything. I win in every deal. I win in every relationship. I win in every conversation. I win in every argument. I always win. That's the flesh. 
and it needs to be laid aside. Then there's dissensions he speaks of. That's the kind of person who likes to create divisions between people. They like conflict, and they like to see people in conflict. And then there's heresies, he lists, and envy, and then murders, and drunkenness. Again, this is a, a, in our culture, it's nothing today, Sunday. How many people will get bombed watching football games today? It's all around us. When you go to the store and you say, how much beer can you put in a cart? How many people are you having over? No one, just me and my best friend. But it's the sin that's lying all around us, and we need to put it aside. And then he lists revelries, which means uh, partying and the whole party thing that's going on. And it's always gone on, but is very heavily represented today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, he lists uh, some other sins that aren't in the first list. I know you're excited to hear these, but it's good to let them search us. He talks about uh, revilers. And this refers to a person who is abusive in their uh, speech, slanderous in their speech. It includes swearing and cursing. How my heart broke just a handful of years ago where the body of Christ went through this little phase, and I hope we're over it, where Christian pastors we're swearing in the pulpit. Cursing in the pulpit is a way of building bridges to the audience so you would know I'm cool. So, you know, I'm, I'm tight with the culture. I'm going to swear it's going to go on. It's, I'm not going to go there because I'll sin. It's so stupid I can't stand it. And yet, we examine our own lives today. How many Christians continue to swear and use profanity, no conviction related to it? And the writer tells us we need to lay those things aside. He speaks there of extortioners, those who take advantage of somebody else's need or taking advantage of their uh, powerlessness in a situation. And they always look for those situations, and then they use them to make a gain. And then the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he started to list some of the sins that are going to be prevalent or standing all around us in the last days before the rapture of the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he said, men will be lovers of themselves, completely self-preoccupied. I, me, and my, I'm the most important person in the whole wide world. God doesn't matter, and you don't matter either. It's called selfishness. Now, I'm, I'm 57 years old. I know, I don't look a day over 80. <laughs> 57 years old. But I grew up in the United States of America when being considered selfish was a derogatory term. <laughs> when you were told, you're being selfish, it was like your face would get all red and you'd look for a corner to run out of the room and go absorb the strength of the insult, people hardly think of it as something negative today, even in the body of Christ, self-absorbed. And yet the writer tells us we're to recognize it as a sin and lay it aside. 
And then he talks also about men being lovers of money. Lay it aside. Boasters, self-promotion. If you got it, flaunt it, let everybody know. It's a sin and it's to be laid aside. He talks about being proud, to see myself above other people. That's what pride is, to see myself above other people. An exaggerated opinion of myself. It's sin, and it's to be laid aside. Blasphemers. Here's the person that would maybe never physically abuse another person, but they will jump in with both feet with their mouth. And you can hurt people with a, with a, a person can hurt another person with their mouth in a way they could never hurt them with their speech. Blasphemers. Sin and to be laid aside. Disobedient to parents. That's rebellion among children toward their parents and toward God-given parental authority. It's sin and it needs to be laid aside. He talks about unthankfulness. Not being grateful, just taking everything for granted. Unholy, unloving, he lists. Unforgiving, that's a sin, needs to be laid aside. Slanderers, he talks about being without self-control, that is, undisciplined. People's lives just completely out of control. Today you talk about discipline, everybody thinks you're talking about legalism, some kind of a terrible thing. We've been freed from that, and so you see a culture that is where discipline is almost completely absent in terms of spending or appetite or spiritual disciplines. It talks about the sin of brutality. This is where people become savages and uh, savage in their treatment of other people. It's a sin that's to be laid aside. Despisers of good, he uh, speaks of that. Traitors, people who give their word and then they uh, don't honor their word. That's a sin, and it needs to be laid aside. People who are headstrong, that's a sin. Haughtiness, again, a version of pride. Being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Nothing wrong with uh, enjoying something that's pleasurable, but there's something wrong I begin to worship pleasure more than uh, I, I worship God, or I enjoy pleasure more than I enjoy my relationship with God. There are certain pe there are people that you can talk to. I don't want to, you know, you, they're more they're more excited about the Hobbit. And I'm not saying anything one way or another about a Hobbit. Say, don't ruin the Hobbit for me, Pastor. Or they're more excited about the 49ers, or they're more excited, and this is more baffling, about the Raiders. <laughs> you get them in a conversation about any of these things, and they, get, they become so animated, and then you talk about the Christ, cross of Christ, and you can hardly get a peep or an emotion out of them. There's something wrong with that. Something needs to be laid aside. What does a man or a woman of faith do with sin? We lay it aside. We put it aside. We put it out of the way. We rid ourselves of it. And I want you to notice that word every because it applies to weights, but it also applies to sin. Every, and it means each and every. And so as we just sit here with the Lord here this morning, we want His Word to have its impact in our lives. We are not to protect 
sin in our lives. There are not to be any pet sins or any beloved sins that we uh, give uh, special privileges to because sins are not our friends. They work to destroy us. The Bible says they work to destroy us physically, and they work to destroy our relationship with God. And as a result, our effectiveness for God. James wrote and he said, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And here it is. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Always. Always. And because of that, we need to lay them aside. No excuses, no big, uh, long debate over it. We determine that we want to live for God in this life and to hear His well done. And so we lay the sin aside at right now this morning, anything that would hinder us in our relationship with Him and in our service to Him. But the writer isn't done. He goes on and he talks about also laying aside every weight in our lives. What are these weights that he's talking about? How do they differ from sin? This is talking about anything that would impede us as runners, anything that would hinder us in living the Christian life, anything that would hinder us in giving ourselves fully to God's purposes for our lives, fulfilling the ministry that He's called us to. And so they are those things that are liberties for us as Christians. Biblically, there's no prohibition against them. We could lay a biblical place for my right to engage in this activity. They're not sin, but they impede us in our Christian life. And they get in the way of God's call upon our lives. Let me give you an illustration. It would be absolute craziness if we were watching the finals of the track and field competition at the Summer Olympics on television and then to watch the sprinters come out to the starting blocks and to see a sprinter walk out get into his or her lane, settle themselves down into the starting blocks and to see that they have a backpack on or that they've decided to run the race with ankle weights. Because that sprinter may be the fastest and the greatest and the most gifted and the most talented sprinter in the world, but those weights will assure that he finishes last. Does he have the liberty to run that race with those things? Absolutely. He can go to the starting line with a hot dog and a Coke. He's the liberty to do it. But it'll guarantee that he finishes last. And those weights will doom him and all the potential for greatness in his life. And the same thing is sure, and the re- is just as sure in the realm of the Spirit. We can do the same thing concerning the possibility of achieving great things in our Christian lives and great things for God 
in this world by allowing our lives to be weighed down by these weights. And thus, like the runner in a physical race, I need to lay aside anything that would hinder my spiritual growth. I'm going to go from preaching to, to meddling. I need to lay aside every single thing, anything that would hinder my spiritual growth in my personal relationship with the Lord and anything that would keep me from winning my spiritual race. And that is to one day hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant, from the mouth of my Savior. The Apostle Paul did it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He said, Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize, that's really serious about winning, he's saying, is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul could not have run his race like every other Christian and finished the race that God had called him to? What God had called him to was unique in human history, in the same way that what God has called us to is unique in human history. Paul could not have run his spiritual race like everyone else and heard that well done. So concerning their weight, these weights, there's an individuality about this between a person and God where we recognize that the standard in terms of what's allowed into my life as a weight is even the testing of liberties in my life, that I can't judge that as being something that should be in my life or shouldn't be in my life on the basis of whether everybody else in the body of Christ is or isn't doing it. There was once a young track star who asked his coach, if he could smoke and run. The coach said, sure, you can smoke and run. You just can't smoke and win. It's one thing to run to run, and it's another thing to run to win. Are we running to win in our Christian life, in our relationship with the Lord, in our service to the Lord? Are we just running to run, just to be a nothing and a nobody and a big blob of anonymous moving forward in this thing called the body of Christ? And however mediocre it might be in any given age, is one thing to run to run is another thing to run to win. And the same thing is true in our spiritual race. It's one thing to be a Christian, and then it's another thing to live my life in a way so as to hear that well done one day. And to do so is going to require not only laying aside 
the sins that are all around us in life, but also to lay aside any liberty that would hinder me in my spiritual growth as a Christian and in my effectiveness in my Christian service. So somebody says, well, how in the world do we determine what is or isn't a weight in our lives? And the Apostle Paul helps us here in this by revealing a couple of simple tests that he put his life to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it's worth writing down. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he said, All things are lawful for me. So he's talking about liberties. But all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So Paul didn't look at his life and say, do I have a liberty to do this as a Christian, and that's the highest standard I am going to uh, apply my life to or things to that I allow into my life. He asked of himself concerning everything in his life, not only is this lawful for me, but further, does this help me spiritually? Does this help me grow in my relationship with God? Does this help make my Christian service more fruitful? And if it didn't, the Apostle Paul laid it aside. We say, oh, the Apostle Paul became the great Apostle Paul because of the greatness of God's calling upon his life as an apostle and, and, and the greatness of the revelation that God gave to him and his natural intellect and all of these things. And we want to put him in another category that's entirely uh, apart from us to explain the impact of his life all the way into this age, one of the most impactful lives in the history of the world. And yet he gives us a glimpse. He would have never been what he became in his relationship with the Lord and in his influence for God if he did not have an even stricter standard for what he allowed into his life and gave his time to than, I'm free to do this. You can't find a verse in the Bible that says I can't. If it didn't help him in his relationship with the Lord and make his Christian service more fruitful, he put it aside out of his life. The second verse that he speaks gives us great insight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, he said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify or build up. And here he asks even concerning the things that are not sin, does this edify me? Does this build me up spiritually? And if it didn't, he would put it aside. He would remove it out of his life. Now, that's someone who understands as a Christian that one day they're going to stand before Jesus. And they're going to hear something. And they want to hear that well done. That is someone who understands the old saying, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Another way that something's revealed to be a weight in our lives is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, or sometimes He'll bring great conviction to our hearts that He doesn't want us to practice a certain something or to invest our time in a certain something. And it may be a completely 
find liberty for other Christians with a different call upon their lives to engage in, but for what God has called you to, it's a weight. It will hinder your effectiveness in Christian service. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit brings that conviction to our heart, I don't want that in your life. I don't want you investing that kind of time in that activity. Sometimes we'll dis, uh, attempt to dismiss that conviction of the Holy Spirit by reminding ourselves there's no verse in the Bible that prohibits me doing this thing. And in fact, I can name two, ten Christians off the top of my head who engage in this activity and, and, and don't have any conviction as well. And so you try and brush the Holy Spirit off. Oh, but he's very stubborn. Holy Spirit's very stubborn. He's a coach in this race, and he's a good coach. And so as much as I try to brush off his conviction and his voice, that conviction remains concerning that thing in our own life. No release from it until you lay it aside. And again, that's just simply the Holy Spirit, the coach in this race saying, that's got to go for you to win the race that I have set before you. Listen to that voice. Always listen to that voice. And again, I want us in the light of liberty to take notice of that word every. It's important to realize that when in the equivalent of the Olympic Games at the time of the Apostle Paul, that the runners, whether in sprinting or in long-distance running, they ran virtually naked. Now, when you're running virtually naked, anything is a weight that gets added to your body or to, to the race. And the idea is that there's nothing that's too small to be examined in, in the old saying as a wing or as a weight in our lives as Christians under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So often it isn't the big things that trip a person up in their relationship with the Lord and in their service to the Lord, but it's a comparatively small thing. It's an untied shoelace. And you look at the race and how many races are decided upon small things, whether the smallest of things have been given the proper attention. You look at the development of the fabrics and, and the shoes for athletes to remove, I mean, even the slightest unnecessary weight for the sake of winning a gold medal. And Paul is saying, how much more than for us seeking an eternal reward? All right, I, I meddle at this point. You know, the average American watches five hours of television a day. Oh, now he's going to ruin television for me. 34 hours a week, 1,768 hours a year. Now, Christian, and by the way, I enjoy television. A Christian has absolute liberty to watch television. Got to watch the right things. We have absolute liberty to watch television. But even if a Christian only watches what meets the biblical standard for what we should put before our eyes, how many hours of television a day 
do you think a Christian can watch and still have time to cultivate the kind of personal relationship with God that is described in the Scriptures, and then on top of that, fulfill the calling that God has placed upon their lives? Can you fritter away, can we fritter away five hours a day and still hear that well done? I'm just posing a question. How much television can I watch with a calling on my life and still hear that well done from the Lord? How much time can be directed away in the liberties, away from the calling, and still be faithful to the calling? Then you carry it over to other liberties, video games, the Internet, texting, phones, hobbies. Those who study those, these kind of things, they tell us that young people in the United States spend 53 hours a week just on television, video games, and being on the computer. I'm not even talking about texting or on the phone. 53 hours a week. Now, some of us who are a little bit older, we say, well, I'd never invest that kind of time, you know, something less than that. But, but it, my point is, is that those of you who are younger, this passage is even more important for you, given the level of distractions that are available to you that have never been available in the history of the whole wide world. Fifty-three hours a week just on TV, video games, and being on the computer, that's more hours than is required in a full-time job. And it isn't just younger people. The distractions abound for all of us. And so maybe God has been speaking to you about laying aside some liberty that for His call on your life is a weight. It's very important to listen to His voice and very important to then lay that aside. And I know you could just lay, make this big argument and this big case, I have liberty, other Christians, I know, blah, 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 the whole thing. You could lay it all out, and yet there is this deep, continued conviction by the Holy Spirit that that needs to be cut away from your life. And we need to listen to Him, and we need to obey Him. Sometimes I think that we can be obedient to God related to sins and weights early in our Christian life and then reintroduce all of those weights back into our lives as we're supposedly getting more mature as Christians. And that might mark some of our lives today. We say, I'm, no more, I'm not even close to effective, as effective as I once was in my Christian service or as close to the Lord as I once was. There's a sin problem there, folks, and there's a weight problem there. There's a priority problem there, and there's sins and weights that need to be laid aside. Or maybe you sit here today, and your life is very, very fruitful, spiritually speaking. And yet God is speaking to you about some area of your life that you're to lay aside. You say, well, I, I, look, at, I'm, 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 you know, Lord, listen, I'm in the upper 1% in terms of people taking the, the things of you seriously in Christianity that I'm observing it, and then you're talking to me about this 
area and going further? And Jesus said that the husbandmen, God, will come to the vine, even those that are bearing much fruit, and he will prune that vine in order that they may bring forth even more fruit. There's always a reason for it. He's up to something, and that pruning away and that cutting away. And I know that I've used up my time here this morning, but I'm not going to release us without asking the worship team to come forward for a moment and just to lead us in a couple of short worship songs where I want to give the Lord an opportunity to speak to our hearts concerning sins and weights and give us the opportunity just before the Lord to lay aside anything that needs to be laid aside. I am not dismissing the room, please. I'm not dismissing the room. The service is not over. Perhaps the most important part of the service is occurring right now to just allow the Holy Spirit and the seriousness of the things that we've talked about to just speak to our heart and for us to respond to Him in any way that we have need of this morning. Lord, just freshly fill us with Your Holy Spirit again. Give us hearing hearts to hear Your Spirit. Lord, we don't want to be carrying anything around, whether a sin or a weight that isn't a part of Your plan for our lives. Just speak to us individually now as we worship You and as we give consideration, Lord, to what You have spoken in Your Word this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.